You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. As a child, I spent many summers attending Holiday Bible Club. I had a great time as we played games, made craft, and as the name suggests, learnt about the Bible. This was done in a number of ways, including through stories and through song. One song in particular has stuck with me ever since. The verse of the song spells the word life, and the words say this. L is for the love that he has for me. I am the reason he died on the tree. F is for forgiveness and now I am free. And E is to enjoy being in his company. I am the reason he died on the tree. And that was it. From age seven, one of the key narratives I received about the faith I was growing up in was this that my guilt and shame and wrongdoing were the reason that Jesus came to earth and died, and that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross was the only thing that could make me clean. For those of us who grew up in church, this may sound familiar. And for those of us who didn't, the whole thing probably sounds pretty weird. That Jesus came to earth in order to die, and that he had to die to save us from our sins. Is this really the message of the good news? Why did Jesus die? Over the next two weeks, we'll be exploring Jesus' death. Why was Jesus killed? What is sin? What did happen on the cross? I'm not going to pretend I have anything close to definitive answers on those questions. And we must accept that for some of these things, there are no absolute answers and they're massive questions. We only have a little bit of time today, and I'm not going to pack this all. But I do have some thoughts that I think might help us on this journey. So where do we get this idea of Jesus dying for our sins from? It stems from the story of Adam and Eve. After the creation story, we find this narrative where Adam and Eve are tempted, and then they eat the fruit from the tree that God has asked them not to eat from then follows some fairly strong imagery about the pain that will stem from Adam and Eve's actions. The trouble has been we've tended to take this story and read it very literally, when in fact this is a narrative that tells us a great truth but doesn't tell us literal fact. Briefly, let's look at a couple of different takes on this story. Firstly, influential early theologian Augustine takes this story and comes up with the notion of what we now call original sin. That when Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden ate the fruit, sin entered the world, and from then on every person, even the newborn baby, is intrinsically sinful, born with the urge to disobey God. On the other hand, Irenaeus, another influential theologian before Augustine, believed that humanity was created immature, and that the story of Adam and Eve shows this, that we are on a path to maturity, that God intended us to slowly grow into her likeness, but that we stumble on the way. Augustine's idea is the one that's taken root in much of the Western church, and debate around this idea of original sin has raged ever since. I think it can become easy to become bogged down in the dogma of this, and that we can miss the heart of the issue. We miss a key truth, which is this. Woven into the fabric of the creation narrative, 
right from the beginning, is the concept of goodness. Creation is made in the image of God, and it is good. I want to be clear, I'm not dismissing the impact of sin on the world and on our own lives. We can't dismiss that we're in need of reconciliation with God, in need of grace. Sin is a part of our reality, and there are consequences of sin. We see how our greed and search of endless power has led to the climate crisis and extreme poverty. We see sin in corrupt structures that trap people, in misogyny and racism and violence. And we see sin in ourselves when we seek power and choose selfishness instead of love for God's creation and one another. We need to ask for God's help and grace in bringing restoration to our whole world. And the story of Adam and Eve symbolises what happens when we don't live as people created in the image of God. But as Christians, we've taken Augustine's idea and tended to individualise sin. It's become about me and my sins being the reason that Jesus came to earth and died. And when we do this, we tend to ignore a core part of the story because we skip from Jesus' birth straight to the cross and forget what happens in the middle. This is the context of the life of Jesus. Jesus is born under the rule of the Roman Empire, an oppressive regime. Political unrest and uprisings were springing up all around the place. And the empire wanted to squash any such threats. So Jesus comes along, and throughout his life he subverts this message of empire. Jesus' message is one of liberation, non-violence, challenging authority and challenging economic structures. So the political tensions build through Jesus' life to the point where there is a plot against him. Jesus is betrayed by one of his own followers. He's arrested and dragged before the high priest. Accused of inciting rebellion, he was beaten, spat at and mocked. Jesus is put to death by the powers of the time. He was subversive and relentless in bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Good news for the whole world, right now. Shane Claiborne says this about Jesus' death. It's not that the cross is just some necessary step to accomplishing some religious plan of salvation, an abstract scheme that leaves Jesus politically meaningless. The cross is the way. It is a completely different way to view the world's success and the meaning of history. Here at the cross is the man who loves his enemies, who gave his robe to those who took his cloak, who prays for those who spitefully use him. The cross is the culmination of that all that the empire had to offer, where the wrath of the world was poured out on God. And at the cross, we see the ultimate power standoff. On the cross, we see what love looks like when it stares evil in the face. We can see what Jesus has to say to evildoers and torturers. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The cross is the way. It is a completely different way to view the world, success and the meaning of history. You see, if we think that Jesus' death was just about what happened because of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when we skip from Jesus' birth to his death, and when we reduce the gospel to me and my sins, we miss that Jesus' message of love was so powerful and so radical that it posed a threat so great he was killed. For me, 
that message provides much more inspiration and motivation to follow Jesus, rather than being motivated by the guilt of my sins. So what does this mean for us? If it's about more than our sins, how does that change the way we live? I wonder what baggage we can leave behind if we step into an understanding of the goodness of creation, that we are created in the image of God. How would that knowledge enable us to live more radical lives? It makes me think of some of the inspirational people we've heard on our connect slots during the global gathering, doing things both big and small to live a radical way of love. These are people who are passionate about fighting against health inequalities, poor education, human trafficking, loneliness, poverty. People using whatever skills and resources they have to live in a radical way. I don't think this has to be in the big things, and I'm not suggesting that you need to have a major career change to live a way of radical love. But I do think we all need to question how we will allow the message of Jesus to disrupt our lives. I wonder how this message inspires you. And I wonder what disruption you will enable it to cause in your life. Finally, to end, if Jesus dying wasn't all about our sins and he died as a radical revolutionary, is that all there is to it? Was he just a great political figure? Or did anything more than that happen on the cross? Nath will explore more on this next week.